720 WGN. Hey, everyone. It's John Hanson. This is Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. Michael Leonard back again. Powerful defense attorney. You don't like the way I said powerful, do you? You like to be the underdog. I love it. Oh, you do love it. Okay. (laughs) When you say it that way, John, it's very (laughs) persuasive. Yeah. How's everything going? Very good. Uh, Back from a trip to uh, Barcelona for four days and then the island of Mallorca off of Spain for four days. So got kind of the city part. And also got the beach part. Did you actually turn your phone off, or were you still fielding calls? Um, it, it was a little bit difficult. I mean, you still have to be somewhat responsive. So yeah, um, I tried to avoid too many calls. But you're, you always got to check the email. And how do you do you know, that? Like with with trial times and all this stuff, you got to like. I mean, you're a human too. You need a break. Is it just like finding that perfect window and taking yeah. it? Well, pretty much. I mean, the, the things that you obviously cannot schedule any travel for is if you have a trial set. So right. you know those weeks. You know, the couple of weeks before, you're not going anywhere. You're going to be preparing like crazy. So it was just a good time. You know, I, I have trials starting up in later in July and then August, September, October, and December. So <laughs> it was. It seemed like a really opportune time to get out of town. Right. Even during Zoom trials, you couldn't, like, go on Mallorca Beach and then put a fake background behind you? <laughs> um, I actually never had a Zoom trial. I know, oh. I know there were a few conducted in, on the civil side. And the criminal side, it's almost unheard of yeah. because of that, you know, paramount right to a jury trial. Makes so sense. Zoom criminal trials almost never happen. I want to talk, uh, we got to talk a little Roe v. Wade, sure. but I want to put it in the perspective of, especially as someone who operates so much in federal courts, I saw a new poll of confidence in the U.S. Supreme Court. This was two days ago, and this may change. It's at a historic low at about 25%. And I know there's a lot of blame to go around. I think a lot of it is politicians who have politicized the appointing of judges who make every single appointment such a political thing, both sides of the aisle, who are having done this for years. Yeah. Maybe the cases as well. They're high profile. We all react to them now in real time. What is your interpretation of why that might be, that confidence is so low, and the ramifications that that presents to you and to the rest of us? Yeah, of course, Roe, you know, doesn't, as a federal court criminal litigator, doesn't have a huge impact uh, on our, my cases. But as a citizen like you and human, you're obviously standing up and taking notice just like everybody else in the world. I think it just goes to the issue of sort of, public confidence in the consistency of the judiciary Mm -hmm. you know when you when you have a court that says after 50 years that a decision you know from 50 years ago was egregiously wrong Mm -hmm. that's what they said um it's hard to have confidence in the precedent because for many many years and over a course of many decisions they reaffirmed that so it just i think it makes people leery of trusting anybody you know, first of all, what you just kind of referred to as those those hearings, the confirmation hearings. And we all know that those are kind of fake. You know, the, right. the nominees. Yeah, the, the nominees, they can't say too much. They won't say too much right. about how they would decide a case. But they make a lot of representations about their dedication to precedent mm-hmm. and then get in, get on the bench and do exactly the opposite. Right. But I mean... Overturning, I mean, we don't have to get into the weeds about the differences, and these are starkly different cases I'm about to bring up, but you have Brown v. Board overturning Plessy, and a lot of people herald that as a great decision, of course, in retrospect. So, I mean, it's not unheard of to have changes, but it still does, even if you agree with the opinion, you can at least see the why people would be uh, a little skittish, knowing that there's that uncertainty of what could happen. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, when you have like fundamental social issues mm-hmm. that people think are decided for 50 years of this nature and this magnitude. Of course, there's going to be 
a erosion of confidence in, you know, what can you expect in the next decision? Also, of course, it puts on everyone's radar. Well, what can we expect in terms of all various forms of human rights, civil rights, and what attacks will there be on them, which are founded on precedent, like you just said? I was reading the, uh, I don't read every Supreme Court decision that comes down, but I try to make a habit of reading at least some of all of them. And I feel like it's a good lesson for actually people to read it because we all get our information from, well, us, pundits, Read the original thing. I think that's a helpful tool. Oh, I agree. I mean, are you talking about reading the original Constitution no, or the decision? Both. Both. Yeah. Have, have the Constitution done. You can refer to it if you need to. But I think reading these decisions makes you smarter and at least gives you a, a feel of what a justice feels. And you can at least go, I disagree, but I could see this line of thinking. Yeah, I, th- I agree with you. I mean, I think most people see a big decision come out like the Dobbs case and I bet 90, 95% of Americans don't read that decision. Mm-hmm. I happened to do what you just said last night. I was sitting there with my phone and I was like, ah, I kind of want to, I see all the news stories, but I wanted to understand the basis for the decision. You hear all the commentators. Uh, but the difficulty with Supreme Court decisions is they're, they're so lengthy yep. and they refer to so much historical language and precedent going back to, you know, uh, 1500s, 1600s. Yeah. So you, you have to have a curiosity and a patience when you're reading those decisions. And mm-hmm. for the average person who's not a lawyer, I mean, it kind of presumes a lot. When I was reading the concurrence for Justice Thomas, and he was saying, look, th- this particular case has nothing to do with same-sex marriage, contraception. But then immediately he said, but bring those cases before us, and this is something we should decide. It, and I that struck me as unusual, but I don't read every concurring opinion. Do you feel like that's a little out of left field for a judge to say, well, we decided this. Bring us these others. Yeah, I would say that's highly unusual. I mean, usually there's a lot of discipline in a decision, trying to keep it ne- very narrowly tarot- t- t- tailored to the situation before the court, not make you know predictions or invite you know certain decisions to be brought forth. I, th- I thought that was highly unusual to sort of invite um, review of, of a lot of different areas of law, which that's what concerns people, frankly. Yeah. I, and then that, I think that speaks to your the uncertainty. I did. You brought up the uh, the the uh, hearings for Supreme Court justices, and I and there's so many memes out there being like impeach Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and Alito and Amy Coney Barrett because they said it was precedent and set a law. I think that there's no basis there because well they you can say that and then say but I want to change that right yeah I mean look no one's getting impeached off the Supreme Court no. we know it's not happening you know but I understand the outrage and I understand the the call for that but if you look at those hearings too like we just said a moment ago there's so much deflection and ambiguity because number one they're not supposed to say how they would rule on a particular case and I don't think we'd want them to yeah. Um, and but I think what the public's reacting to, too, is that, you know, a lot of these senators have now come forward and said, hey, you know, I think the big story today was, you know, Senator Susan Collins of Maine saying, hey, look, you know, I had this private meeting with Kavanaugh. Here are my detailed notes. Oh. He assured me, you know, that he would not overturn this decision and has respect for precedent. So that's the type of stuff that people lose confidence in. If, if someone who's before a confirmation panel makes specific statements like that. But if I think if we went back and looked at what they said before the confirmation panel, mm-hmm. it's always ambiguous right. and it's always, you know, you, you can get a comfort level if you want to from what they say. But you have to be real. And obviously, when a case presents itself, they can pretty much do whatever they want. Right. It's a lifetime appointment. Yeah. I know there's been a lot of proposals otherwise, 18-year terms, staggered two years. Uh, I don't know if we want to get into all that today. So all the hours that you spent on the air yesterday discussing yeah. this, were yeah. you getting 
a lot of calls and text, or is it mostly legal analysis of lawyers? A lot of calls and texts, yeah. and the call lines are actually blowing up now. And look, that's what the show is. That's what the station is. We're a mirror to what's happening, and there are a lot of pro-life people. There's a lot of pro-choice people, and every opinion is uh, respected here, and that's what we did yesterday. Yeah. And uh, we got to take a break for the news. We do have a couple calls coming in, 312-981-7200. We'll discuss plenty more with Michael Leonard. Who knows where the conversation's going It could next. go anywhere, John. It could. It could. <laughs> Stay tuned, everybody. Oh, yeah. It's a good tease. After this on WGN. 720 WGN. This is Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. Michael Leonard here to my left from Leonard Trial Lawyers. Uh, who should be reaching out to you, by the way? I want to give you a plug. Well, John, typically, as we talked about before, we represent people in federal criminal cases charged by the U.S. Attorney's Office. We do that here in Chicago and also nationally. And we also represent people in state criminal court proceedings. And then we talked about this before, but on the civil side, uh, a part of our practice representing individuals in discrimination and whistleblower type cases where we're suing large companies. Leonard at triallawyers.com. All right, let's go back to our previous discussion and let's go to the phone lines. Got some interesting questions. Hey, Karen, you're on WGN. Good afternoon. Okay, well, now that I heard his credentials, I'm a little bit nervous about <laughs> even saying anything. No, Karen, come on. Don't worry about it. That's what this show is all about. Um, so I am not an attorney. I don't even understand that. I don't understand it. So, right. But I am interested, which draws me to reading many of the, um, you know, the outcomes, the, mm-hmm. you know. The decisions. So, right. So, you know, it's great because you learn a lot of new words and there's so many different ways to think and things that I never even thought of, you know, come to mind. But when I read this yesterday, it, and, and it's like a hundred pages, but even just reading the, you know, like the, the appendix, like, or the, yeah. uh, the whatever, you know, it, it just, to me, everything was so clear like they answered in in my opinion they answered like any question that i would have come up with it was already answered interesting so it, you, it, you it seemed to me like if you're 8 years old and you know how to read that probably they could understand it yeah. like because, well i mean they might know, have to have a dictionary near them here Karen i want to ask you and i feel the way sometimes i read a majority opinion sometimes and i'm like okay i could see it yeah did you read the dissent as well, Karen? Um, no, I did not. Yeah. And, and I I haven't yeah, I haven't gotten that. I did see part of it on the news, um and but I just hearing part of that on the news, they said that uh Breyer said what did she say? Something that um it shouldn't have been well, they wrote a, a they wrote a, a team dissent essentially the three dissenters and John Roberts also I guess kind of dissented he just he wanted the Mississippi law to stand but not overturn Roe but yeah they made a blistering argument and, and Karen you know we, I want to get to some other callers too and let Michael chime in I would just say that as as a like just like you like an average citizen right I'm not a lawyer I often right. sometimes read the majority and even if it's counter to what I thought I was going to feel going in it changes my mind but then I always make sure to read the other side because sometimes I'm like ah yeah that's a good point too Karen. Right. What are your and, thoughts? And, and I will do that. I do do yeah. that. Yeah, I good. Do. Well, I think, Karen, Thank you're a so better much. reader than me, too, because I, I really, uh, I think that decision takes a lot of time yeah. and a lot it, of effort it to, did. Yeah. to I, read it. Luckily, luckily, I'm a teacher and I'm off for the summer, but yeah, it took me all day. And yeah. 
Well, Karen, I, it seems know, like it was long. Yeah, the thing, Karen, I think that one of the one of the things when you're reading those decisions, it it sort of there's a lot of legalese and it presupposes a lot of knowledge of about right. historical precedent and not just case law, but, you know, going to other legal authorities going back in history. So you really do. It really does take a lot of patience. And I think if someone's a non-lawyer, I mean, I, I mean, some of the stuff I clearly was not familiar with, right. you know, at this stuff. How could you be? No, you can't. But and also, you know, keep in mind the fact that, you know, when they're drafting a lengthy monumental decision like that they're going to spend all the time in the world to make it the most persuasive in in their favor of course they're not going to right but but it wasn't just in my opinion it wasn't just persuasive it i think i think they wanted to make sure that every that every single even basic question was answered they went back and did went through the history yeah. of even before pre-colonial you well, know well, like, they're, they're making an argument right they want you to read it and and, and agree with it right and they're laying out they're trying and understand because it's not yeah. a and a right like they want to have that document that lives because also michael correct me if i'm wrong they want to at least provide some outline for how other court cases can handle this in basis what based on what the document says sure, right yeah i mean i think you make a great point oh, John. Yes, yes. they are making a legal argument of course they're they're rebutting case law that's been you know settled for 50 years so they're they're making a strong argument as to their position hey karen um yeah. Hang on the line. I'm going to get you a $50 gift card to the 5050 Restaurant Group to be used at any of their 14 oh. fantastic establishments all over Chicago, including Roots Pizza and Westtown Bakery, because Karen, kudos to you for going ahead and reading that. I got to say. And Karen, oh, I've never gotten so a gift card, even when I've read the decision to come <laughs> on here. So I, I, my hat's off to you as well. Yeah. So, uh, thank you. Yeah. Do you it's mind? Been uh, a long day. Yeah, for sure. You mind putting her on hold there, Connor, uh, to make sure that she stays on the line before I hang up on her? Because I want to go to another call. Let's go to Tim. Hey, Tim, you're on WGN. Hi. How are you doing? Can you hear me okay? I can hear you great. I'm good. Hey, uh, my question for Mike is about uh, workplace discrimination cases. Because, oh, okay. uh, I'm, I'm not sure about this, but my understanding is that if you have a complaint, you have to file it within 300 days or under a year. And I guess my question is why, when you have cases like, the civil case against Bill Cosby, where people are able to sue after, you know, decades. Mm -hmm. Why then do they have such a short window where a person can file a complaint against their boss or their company? Um, And after 300 days, you know, some people might even just take time to get the nerve up or whatever. Right. So that's my question. Why the the huge difference there? Interesting. That's a good question. So I think what Tim is referring to first, uh, in terms of Tim said, there was a 300-day limit for filing a workplace case. And Tim is referring to a discrimination case. So let's say that an individual works for an employer and they have a case for age discrimination, sex discrimination, sexual harassment, race discrimination. There's a kind of a dual system set up in the country where you have to file what's called a charge of discrimination, which is just really a piece of paper in which you give a brief outline of what your claim is against your employer. Hey, I worked for the employer for these dates. I was sexually harassed on these uh, occasions uh, I've suffered damages as a result and you know your your name and your your information so that either gets filed the EEOC most people have heard of that right mm-hmm. federal or with the Illinois Department of Human Rights or if you're in another state there's probably a state agency like that so the law has created the system where you have to file the charge of discrimination the reason 
behind that is because there would probably be 5 million more lawsuits filed in state and federal court if they didn't have their requirement. Because if you could immediately sue after you were fired, uh, the amount of the volume of litigation would be even more astronomical than it already is. So what happens is you go through this charge process, which you can, in some instance, get out of and go to court, but you go through this charge process, and then many cases are settled during that process. Mm-hmm. Some people decide they don't want to go forward. They kind of see the employer's evidence. Uh, sometimes the employer decides they want to resolve the case because they don't want the case going to suit. Uh, but then you have a whole different ballgame. What Tim is talking about are the Bill Cosby lawsuits. So... Cosby was not these people's employer, right? Mm -hmm. He was charged with, in a a civil way, in some civil suits with, you know, sexual assault and things of that nature. Um, So the recent case in California was a civil case where someone who was a minor at the time uh, was accusing him now of sexual assault. So there are certain circumstances under which the statute of limitations, which otherwise might bar that case from coming forward years later, would make exceptions when it happened to a minor, mm-hmm. someone who wasn't in a position to go ahead to and file a lawsuit. Yeah. Who would fear for yeah, reporting. They, they could report it theoretically, but the idea of the law favors people who are underage and minors and therefore and some some instances people uh, don't remember it for for various reasons right. maybe they were intoxicated or put on the influence of drugs or psychologically but, blocked it out that happens a lot too yeah and then tim uh, i don't know if you mentioned the criminal case but then you had the cosby criminal case on the east coast and again you had to come in with an within an exception as to either, either the case fell within the statute of limitations originally there you know the criminal statute's different for when prosecutors can bring a case or there was some exception as to why the time period was told for those prosecutors bringing in that case. Tim, thanks for the call, man. Okay. All right. 312-981-7200. Here's a wealth of knowledge, Michael Leonard. Michael only Leonard. on a couple subjects. I only know a thin <laughs> amount about a couple different things, you know? Hey. You, if, the, if the case can go to trial, then, then I'm good. You want to know less about more things? Be a radio host. <laughs> we know like a, an inch about things that are a mile wide, I've right? never accused you of that, but if you're saying that, <laughs> I don't know if that's it. good for your listener base to hear that from uh, your own mouth. That's just being honest. I'm just being honest. All right, more Let's Get Legal after this. WGN, Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. Michael Leonard, I've been teasing this story about the Southside man, Timothy O'Donnell, who pled guilty in February. He was, you may remember, pictures from the George Floyd protest unrest that followed the Joker mask. Uh, and he pled guilty to lighting the police car on fire. And it became kind of the image of what happened. And I saw that he is getting 34 months in federal prison. I had no idea that you were his lawyer. I was his lawyer. So, yeah, we just had the sentencing hearing this past week, uh, probably like a three-hour sentencing in federal court before for, for Judge Wood. Um, so that was the sort of the culmination of, of a couple years' work on that case. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously you probably want a time served, yeah? We did. So our, our first of all, he'd been in, in custody for two years. Mm-hmm. And not, on, not only for two years, but really in federal court, federal jail in chicago called the mcc mm-hmm. he had been detained in probably the worst circumstances ever because of covid you know so in particular his situation was for almost a year being in what was almost like solitary confinement where you'd get 15 minutes out a day from your cell that you're by yourself and in some days maybe 30 minutes so incredibly difficult time to be in custody for anybody but the covid you know the covid restrictions made it so hard on these guys but so we were asking for time served which would have been 24 months that he's already served the judge gave him a sentence of 34 months which sounds 
bad on its face, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, under, number one, the government was asking for substantially more time. Mm-hmm. So we considered it a, a big victory in terms of her sentence. And then secondly, the reality of 34 months in federal time is that 34 at 85%, which is a rule in federal court, takes you down to about 29 months. Mm-hmm. And then because of some credits and things like that, you know, he'll be out relatively soon. So even though it wasn't technically a time-served sentence, it's it's close to that. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't light a cop car on fire without a doubt. Without a doubt. No, course, one, no one's yeah, arguing. Yeah, we can't go on the air and say you should do that. No, John. no. <laughs> I, I'm just wondering if he... Um, he kind of became the poster of that day, right? And yeah. do you think that that hurt him? Because obviously police had – the Joker mask stood out more than probably someone's original face would stand out oh, in a way. No, no doubt. I mean, there's no doubt, as we said at the sentencing hearing, that he paid the price for wearing the mask. It sounds like a Joker movie, but really he was the face of the George Floyd rights in Chicago. You know, the Sun-Times and Trib repeatedly showed that picture of him in the Joker mask. The facts are a little bit more nuanced than what you just described. I, I, I read that there was other people that may have added accelerants to the, the vehicle, right? Yeah, so so what happened, which is all, all relevant when you're talking about a sentencing hearing, and actually for the charges it's relevant too, but originally the federal government charged him with arson, a federal arson statute, which carried a five-year mandatory minimum sentence. They dropped that charge, and they charged him ultimately with civil disobedience or proceeded just on a civil disobedience. So we got the arson charge to go away, which was huge because then he would have been looking at five years going up. But the facts, as you're referring to, John, are a little more nuanced. So the car was was parked on State Street you know, during the George Floyd riots. Um, it's pretty striking when you look at the the footage. You know, when you look at the video camera from the corner, mm-hmm. it's amazing to see the operation of a mob. It's scary because you just see thousands of people pouring into that area. And then what happens for a good 15, 20 minutes, you know, you got hundreds of people literally beating on this squad car. And then my client comes upon the scene and clearly he admitted to the fact that he used his lighter, put a rag in the um, gas tank mm-hmm. and there was uh, it was the rag was on fire. Um, we we don't know. We think probably ultimately it, the car wouldn't have burned because of that, and that's what arson experts say it wouldn't have burned. But what then happened is uh, some other people came up on the scene and threw gasoline cans of gasoline or jars of gasoline, some sort of accelerant into the car, and the car just goes up. Have so any of the, them been charged, by the way? No. Okay. So you know that was that was part of our argument that you know there there are literally dozens to hundreds of people who were you know took part in abusing the car but uh it doesn't excuse the ans- the actions of my client we didn't claim that it did but we claimed that that provided context to the, the what the sentence should be given to him by the judge makes sense i have one more qu- uh, question that came on the text line um this is, we don't have enough time to even answer it fully but in a minute why do judges have political affiliations if they're supposed to be non-biased I imagine the the answer is they don't have political affiliations, but they have their own. We all have thoughts on things that we bring to whatever job we have, right? Well, the political affiliation usually is what gets them appointed in the first place. So, if you're a federal court judge in Chicago, you've obviously been appointed mm-hmm. uh, because a senator in your state or the senators have agreed that you're going to be appointed and you're recommended to the president. So. During a term of, you know, right now, Joe Biden being in office, if there was a judicial opening on the federal bench in Chicago, they're not going to choose a Republican mm-hmm. who says someone who says that I'm a re- identify as a Republican. I'm a judge. They're going to or or a lawyer. They're going to hire someone who's a Democrat. So that gets you your position most often and gets you on the bench. Of course, once you're on the bench, you're not supposed to use your party affiliation to influence your decisions. But as we know, since you've identified in that manner in the past, you would expect 
that, of course, that's going to give give a good roadmap to how you might rule when you're on the bench. I think it's like in a perfect world that wouldn't happen, but I don't know the other mechanisms for how we'd pick judges unless we just picked people out of a hat. Yeah, right? I like mean, a, you have to get appointed by someone. Yeah, that person that is elected president is going to have a political affiliation. And how do you else do you do it? I guess. Yeah, there's not there's not this animal out there who's you know just hundred percent objective, not influenced by their past, by their where they've worked, what they've experienced, where they're from. It's impossible. So this 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 discussion about judicial selection, whether it should be appointed, whether it should be elected, it varies by each state. Uh, on the federal bench, as we said, there is an influence in terms of how you get the job because your political affiliation is going to uh, get you that job or not. Right. Mike Leonard, it was great to chat with you, my friend. Great to see you, John. Glad you're back from your travels. I hope hope you'll tell your listeners about all your adventures. Oh, I did. I told them all about London and Paris uh, when we got back. But uh, I don't don't like to talk about it anymore because now it's done. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It makes makes you sad that you're back to real life. Well, good to see you. Yeah, you too. We'll talk again soon.